0: Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Chris Wayne-Wills, CEO of the stunning Carrera Hotels portfolio in Scotland. Coming up on today's show... Chris talks high-level business strategy. And in the end, we settled on beans, red socks and dogs. Phil clarifies his stance on his dog... I don't leave my dog in the room no, no. in a strange place, thanks very much <laughs> And Phil questions one particular story from Chris Bless you, are you, uh, are you sure you want that to go out into the public domain?
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: All that and so much more as we chat through Chris's story and journey to date Chris has built a superb career so far and he talks freely and passionately on what it takes to take control of your own growth In addition, this chat is rammed full of more than its fair share of anecdotes and golden nuggets A massive thank you to Chris for that Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in hotels as we chat to someone who has worked in both big brand and independent groups. Which now culminates in him taking the role of CEO for Carrera Hotels in Scotland. So I am delighted to welcome Chris Wayne Wills. Hi, Phil. Thank you.
2: How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, really well indeed. Good, good, good. Where whereabouts in the world are you today? So I'm actually at home in Sunny Helensburgh today. So uh, okay. uh close to Loch Lomond. And uh yeah, that's that's home, working from home as is the uh government recommendations at the moment. So yeah, really good to be here, and good to be talking to you.
0: Yeah for, for context we're recording this on the 26th of February and we've all been given a sort of roadmap of some sort out of Covid. I suppose that remains to be seen what that actually really looks like in reality mm. but um, but yeah reasons to hopefully be a little bit more cheerful.
2: Yeah I hope so, well I know certainly from our organisation we're, we're raring to go, keen to get open. When we were open last year it was pretty successful for us uh just in terms of the way we handle things and manage the expectations of our guests etc so as soon as it is considered safe to do so we'll be um, ready to go on the b of the bang as it were yeah yeah the minute the start goes off we'll be good we'll be going for it
0: yeah yeah well i think there's an awful lot of people who are ready mm. to get cracking and over ready, probably. You spent quite a lot of your career in Scotland, by the looks of things, mm. and yet I'm not detecting much of a, a Scottish twang. No, where where do you originate from?
2: So I was actually born in Cardiff. So I suppose I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it Celtic, one way or another. Um, yeah. in, between Wales and Scotland. And it was it was work that led me to Scotland. I'd sort of done my initial qualification, which actually was a, was a BTEC back in the day in hospitality. Catering and Institutional Operations, which I'm not sure whether that qualified me to work in prisons and things at the time, but I always thought it was an interesting uh, an interesting type title. Title, uh, yeah. Type yeah. Qualification. And effectively, once I sort of settled into a, into a career path, I was working for a company, which was a company called Jarvis Hotels back in the 1990s. Yep. Actually quite a, you know, I suppose when I look back now, it's quite an innovative company back in the 90s. Um, lots of really good things happening and, and working with some great people. And um, they offered me the opportunity to move to Air, and I think when the HR director first told me that, I thought she meant Ireland actually as an error. But ah, um, uh, right, okay. We've literally, yeah. literally never been north of the border, but it was the sales manager opportunity for a hundred and eighteen bedroom hotel. Was that on the station? Uh, no, it was. So it was. Um, it's Air in terms of the Cali. Right. Okay. Just along from the Gaiety Theatre.
0: Ah, right. Okay.
2: So it's, yeah. it's a murkier now. So, uh, yeah, obviously, there's there's quite a few of the hotels I've worked in that have had multiple brands <laughs> in the length of my career. But um, it was probably, you know, I suppose it was literally a case of check everything you've got in your Ford Escort, get at the M6 and um, cross the border. And then it's still a hell of a long way when you cross the border till you get to into the sunny, sunny seaside town of Ayrshire. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Do you know, I did um, a stint. Well, I, uh, I went to Glasgow University, but um, mm. there was a, a campus of Glasgow Uni down in Ayr. Yes. Just outside Ayr. And so I spent uh, three years of my life in living in Ayr. Ah. And um, it, that was my first experience of the mainland, really, as an adult. Right. Because I, I was born and bred on, well, no, I wasn't born on an island, but I spent the majority of my childhood on an island on the West Coast. Uh-huh. Yeah, Ayr was. Um, an interesting place.
2: <laughs> it was. It was good. I mean, it, it, it. As I say, I mean, for me, it was about getting probably a, a decent size of hotel. Doing, although the the, the job title with that organisation was sales and spend. I was a sales and spend manager, which um, probably as we look at it back now, it was the the sort of early stages of revenue management, along with conference and event sales, along with looking at average spends. And so right. a little bit of marketing within the business, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it was it was a great it was a great opportunity and to learn a lot of things. I think that was what was really important. But so it was really it was really down to them that I kind of moved to Scotland. And I suppose that's a early on in your career, someone offers you an opportunity, and you think you, know, you might go and just just do it for a year or two, and then um, yeah, some twenty five years later, you find yourself. Well, my friends now call me Squelsh, which is half Scottish, half Welsh, because I've lived over over, over (laughs) half my life in Scotland. So uh, I guess I'm I'm kind of, yeah, and I've obviously just made a life in Scotland. But it was very much, um, as I say, check everything in the car, drive up. And the only person I knew in Scotland was the GM of the hotel who'd who'd employed me. But you just, you're at that stage in life where you just kind of go for it.
0: Isn't that, that's one of the cool things about the industry though, isn't it? About the the fact that it offers you that opportunity to broaden your horizons.
2: It does. Yeah, yeah massively. And, and literally, if I, if I go back to that point of walking into that hotel, and, and sadly, it was actually the day I moved up was the day of the Dunblane tragedy. Um, oh, and I context it in terms of history. Uh, you know, it, it feels that long ago. Although the funny story about the whole thing was that when I first moved up, I actually was living in the hotel. You know, invariably, if you take a job and you've not sourced accommodation yet, you end up living in a hotel. Yeah, so I got checked into a bedroom by this uh, receptionist, and um, went up to the bedroom, and there was no bedroom window. Right, literally, just as in a gaping hole. Not that there wasn't a window; there was no window in the frame. Oh, right, right. <laughs> and the curtains were blowing in, and um, we had a great view of Aaron, which was fantastic. <laughs> And literally, maintenance had just uh, taken, it must have been a room that was out of order for something that she thought, right, you know, new new sales manager sticking in there kind of idea. And actually, I'm still friends with that that very receptionist. We, we, we became friends and used sort to of stay in contact for throughout the industry. And I think that's probably, you know, quite a true thing. You you move up for a role, you don't know anybody, but you just make friends, make colleagues and grow your network and um, and expand your career as you, as you kind of progress. And that is absolutely what the industry affords you to do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, how long were you there for? Quite, actually, not a particularly uh, long period of time, sort of just just over a year, actually. But um, I was quite fortunate at that time. I Actually, Jarvis Hotels used to do a tremendous awards ceremony and an awards kind of program. So I won their Sales and Spend Manager of the Year Award in about 1997. And actually, I got shortlisted for a Thistle Award that year as well for Manager of the Year which was really quite good fun. And I really can't remember why, <laughs> um, but I suppose I was doing something right. Yeah, uh, I, I probably used that sort of PR, if you like, of the Thistle Award or, or of sort of, you know, winning the award within Jarvis to apply for the next job. And I went to the Marine at Troop, which was a hotel that was hosting the Open Golf. It was the 100th centenary of the, hundred centenary year of the hotel in 1997. And, and yeah. it's one of those career moves. When I look back, you know, I suppose when I look back, I'm not sure I would have given me that job. Right, you you kind of look at things and you think well okay i had a certain amount of experience but this was very top-end four-star rosette dining as i say you know hosting the open golf that type of thing but then just kind of went for it went for it with the interview and um, was fortunate in in being given that opportunity and that was that was nice because i think it was a probably a first taste of of a really nice level of quality to work with right and that obviously then you know it's it's probably driven from the rates that people are paying to the sort of to, to the caliber of colleagues you're working with obviously the sort of the the expectations of the guest and you you just sort of learn and develop as you as you progress through those things
0: yeah i think a lot well most of the best learning comes from the the moments where you find yourself kind of out, out of
2: your depth a little bit <laughs> yeah well there's no um I think there's no losing. There's either winning or learning, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, in a in a, I suppose that's a you know fairly sports orientated analogy. But um, but absolutely, yeah. You've you've any time I you know would have perceived to have failed at something or needed to, to to put some more effort into something. Those are absolutely the learnings, not the times where it's really easy. Yeah, it's obviously the times where you've had to really double down your efforts and put a lot more into it to get the kind of results you want to achieve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've also just realised that we were in that same area at exactly the same time because I I was in uh, uni sort of 96, 97 time. It would have been 98, I think, when I left. And I remember doing a tourism study on the open being at Royal Troon mm-hmm. for that year. Absolutely. And so, yeah, small world, but uh, we never knew each other. But there Although
2: we are. A path may have crossed because I think it's, a, it, it's an interesting... Um, story about how you when you're earlier in your career you do different things so I um when I first moved to Scotland and I, I can remember the, the salary I moved to Scotland for and it wasn't a great deal so to kind of um make make up things and stuff I actually used to DJ at the weekends and I used to DJ okay I used to DJ at a place in air called the Club de Mar no way <laughs> and you see oh my god you see the number of people who you now meet in industry when you're kind of you know in your 40s or whatever, and you'll say to them, yeah, I used to DJ in the Club de Mar. And I've met, I met a lady recently, quite high profile in a tourism organisation. She kind of looked at me and she was like, ah, oh, the Club de Mar. And it was a real kind of, um, yeah, no, so I used to DJ in the Club de Mar to, uh, to get a bit more money. So That was our,
0: um, our favourite Thursday night haunt yeah, and, uh, and the odd weekend we, yeah. we used to go, but it was obviously cheaper on Thursday nights because yeah. that was student night.
2: Student night on Thursdays, yeah. So I, I would be the guy that was, um, you know, would have been playing Whatever. Well, actually, I can completely context it in terms of time in that there was a, one of these things that when you're you know, sort of DJing and, and talking to people and there was a young lady that I was quite keen to, to talk to, shall I say, who said to me, if I could get a copy of the Spice Girls, if you want to be my lover and play it, she'd give me her phone number. And it became right. my, my absolute kind of mission <laughs> to get a white-label copy not yet released of the Spice Girls single, which yeah. I think also kind of uh, timeframes that whole time as well. But uh, yeah, no, playing a lot of indie tunes on a, on a Thursday night and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, this is, oh, this is... Sunday night was more focused on, uh, on, on more mature people. So we used to get a bit more into the 70s and 80s on a Sunday yeah. night. But yeah, it was great fun.
0: This is uh, now turning into a trip down my memory lane, not, <laughs> not, not yours yeah yeah that's that's nuts anyway i'm not gonna dwell on that but uh, i just find that quite incredible yeah there's even an outside chance i might have come up to you and asked you to play something possibly so. because i was always up asking to to stick stuff on yeah but um well, must, but there we are
2: but by, by, by the time things kind of progressed at true I, I sort of gave it up it was more it was earlier than that in terms of um when I was first moved up to air and things. And then I subsequently moved to Edinburgh. So I uh, hung up the headphones, as it were. At that yeah. Point. I got a lot more focused on the career. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was great fun. And it was all, you know, I suppose it's a it's such a sociable industry. It, it complements doing things like that as well. And if, you've, if you're confident enough to be emceeing a wedding or doing some training for the team, you're probably confident enough to talk on a microphone and tell people what song you're playing and why kind of idea, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Troon, yes. yes I yes. mean, it's, it's also quite a, 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 a well, certainly within Scotland and probably even wider uh, across the UK. It's a very well known hotel.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 L- l- really nice business. Um, Troon itself is, um, well, I think Trin should be famous for having nearly 30 uh, care homes. It's a very uh, highly care home kind of focused place. <laughs> really? I didn't know it is it really? that. Yeah. A lot of the old houses along the beach get, get converted, et cetera. But um, it, was, right. it actually was one of the first times, a couple of times in my career, I've been working for companies that have been sold. So it was actually a company called Scottish Highland Hotels. Who basically the way things evolved, the general manager at Troon moved through to Edinburgh to the Carlton Hotel on North Bridge as general manager, and effectively took me with him. So I'd only actually yeah. worked for him for a year. I was just in, just over a year in Troon, and again, you know, someone says to you, you know, "Do you want to come through to Edinburgh?" it's was an Ion, two hundred bedroom hotel, right in the centre of the city, you know, capital city. Nightclub in the basement, big banqueting operation, etc. And you're sort of heading through there to be deputy at. I think I was kind of, you know, 23, something like that. So you think, yes, yeah, right. great opportunity, and you, you sort of um, completely go for it. So it was uh, – and it was at that time when I was working there that Scottish Highland Hotels got purchased by Paramount Hotels. Oh, gotcha. um, yeah, And so, so the Carlton – well, the Carlton Highland, as it was when it was part of Scottish Highland, became, became the Carlton and went through a massive refurbishment. So probably that was then my first – involvement and experience of, of kind of um, significant investment and, and really kind of repositioning work, really seeing how Paramount's model was very much... They bought underinvested assets that possibly needed some different local management and invested in them and changed the direction and sort of repositioned the business and, and added value, and then eventually things would be flipped and they'd move on. But that was my first kind of um, career time working for them. Right.
0: Got you. How long were you there for? was
2: so at the Carlton for couple of years and actually what happened was jarvis hotels who i'd worked for originally in scotland before i went to troon my uh sort of the the area manager md for scotland if you like approached me and offered me my first gm's job okay so it's probably still quite still part. quite young yeah just just 25 and probably um you know what is it richard branson says you fake it till you make it
1: yeah
2: <laughs> you know probably uh, i mean it was a it was a 57 bedroom hotel had, you know, a couple of meeting rooms and things right next to Murrayfield Stadium. So a place called Ellerslie House, right? And we um, we actually, I mean, the, the, the most exciting thing we used to do we used to put marquees in the grounds for Six Nations and do up to four hundred people in a marquee for sort of corporate hospitality for the rugby, which would be you know taking in a day what you'd normally take in a week kind of ideas. So yeah, that, that was a, that was good fun. And um, and probably going into Jarvis as a general manager at that point in time I had a, a really quite a fast kind of progression through. Just about a year at Ellerslie House, I then went over to Livingston, which was just because it was a larger hotel, they asked me to go there and it, it needed some specific focus. And, um, and then really from Livingston, they asked me to go down to Manchester, which was the biggest hotel in the company, 272 bedroom hotel, banqueting for around a thousand people. And I kind of rocked up there about the age of 28, <laughs> probably, probably thinking I knew a lot more than I probably did. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sort of got, got stuck into that business, which was a real, you know, it's quite a significant size of business and turnover and team complexity of events and multiple bars, restaurants, a pub on the, you know, pub built into the hotel, that type of thing mm. on the street. So really a, a really different learning. The, I think the challenge with that business at that time was that um, Jarvis had been through a process where they'd done some rebranding work with Ramada. So they actually took yep. the main Ramada franchise into the UK, and they they rebranded a lot of things. Ramada Jarvis, really, I think, because um, probably in terms of access to distribution at that point in time. That you know, obviously, as things were changing in the industry and the way we sold bedrooms was evolving. Mm-hmm. But as a result, they had the um, Piccadilly in Manchester. You know, when it first when the Queen opened it in 1960, whatever, it was a five star hotel, and over the period of its life, it had just basically fallen away in quality, suffered from a lack of investment, and so and actually before I got there, the company had announced that they were going to close the hotel and do a significant refurbishment, complete repositioning, and rebrand it as Ramada Manchester, etc. And um, they effectively were due to close it, and then realised that they kind of couldn't complete the project with the capital required. So right. they, and they then basically had to reopen it with a, an empty order book, etc. And so if you imagine, if if it was considered, it needed to be closed and um, have, have a lot of millions spent on it. I used to say by the time I got there, half the world thought we were still shut and the other half thought we should be. It was, <laughs> it was quite a time You know, physical condition-wise, it was quite a challenge. But I think all you can do at that moment is is work with your team, and focus on cleanliness, maintenance, hot food, hot, cold food, cold, great service. And hopefully you, you sort of get past the actual, you know, the, the age of the asset, as it were. But it was you know for me, I mean it was sort of running running the biggest hotel in the company and, and the exposure to the size of events, et cetera, but it, it was it was a frustration in terms of quality, and I think I kind of recognized that having moved down to Manchester, although actually we did we did keep keep sort of keep a house in Scotland, but I was down in Manchester and just not really getting where I wanted to get to in terms of quality and um, so I had a call about McDonald's hotels who uh, it's
0: difficult though isn't it when you know, you've got to I mean, you can get around some elements of quality by, you know, having great staff, right, and and getting yeah. them right on point. But if the if the staff don't feel like they have a product that backs them up, it's very it's a very difficult thing to get right.
2: Yeah, it is, and I think um, I suppose looking back now, you know, an organization like them, and sadly they 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 they're no longer in existence as an organization. But if you think about them as an organization now, they're probably that middle ground that was swallowed up by premier inns and travel lodges. And yeah. really, as more supply came into markets, the the, the three-star, they were very mid-market, three-star type of company. And so that, that kind of mid-market just merged into realistically now, if it's not kind of full service and about quality, it's, it sits from a price point that doesn't really, it doesn't really enable you to generate enough cash to continuously invest the way you need to invest. Mm. To, to sort of meet people's expectations. And, um, and it was, yeah, I mean, for me, I think probably within a year or two of, of by the time I left and went back up to Scotland to work for McDonald's, then the company had, had uh, changed hands, et cetera, and was, was then. Picking up a, a sort of Mercure franchise and was into a different direction. And actually, though, I think getting different owners, getting the weight of the Mercure brand behind it, gave it the opportunity to spend some money. They did spend a lot of money on it, and it's a it's a great hotel. You know, I go back to Manchester now and visit, and it's um, it really is a great, well located hotel and right in the middle of the city, big banqueting, and you know, it's, a, it's a really. But it's it's about capital. It's about continuously investing to meet people's expectations.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So McDonald's hotels.
2: Yeah, where where Started off in East Kilbride, okay. Crosland House. And I think that, um, I suppose it was, a, it was a kind of a recruitment whereby um, I'd had a number of conversations with them. I was very keen to get back to Scotland. And I think they had, a, they had you know, possibly a couple of properties at the time that they thought I might have been able to sort of work in. But um, I went into Crosland and East Kilbride, big kind of wedding venue, spa, nice health club, etc. But again, fairly quickly, I was fortunate I was offered a second hotel, which is Houston House, just fairly close to Edinburgh Airport. Which kind of suited i I lived not too far from Edinburgh airport so it sort of suited me in terms of having both properties and I looked after both properties for a sort period of time in a, in a i mean you know we, we were called regional general managers but basically it was a multi property gm role with with two hotels right but both of which were nice four star rosettes as i say spas lots of weddings I recall we had a year we did 250 weddings between the two hotels so i think one did a one twenty, and the other one did one thirty or something. But really serious wedding venues, and and enjoyed working for the company, and um, enjoyed the quality, enjoyed the, the sort of real a lot of obviously very focused on commercial and achievement. You know, very quite high targets, quite quite sort of demanding as a culture. But I think I probably kind of rose to that at that point in time, and then was fortunate to be um, asked by them to go and take over the Roxburgh in Edinburgh. So uh, which is now, so I think since I worked there, it's been a Crown Plaza. And now it's a Kimpton. Yeah, it's a Kimpton. It's Kimpton now. I think so. Yeah, right, right. You know, multi brands. But again, so that was back in Edinburgh. But obviously, first time as a GM um, in terms of a, a sort of big two hundred bedroom city centre hotel. Yeah, it's quite a famous hotel as well. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I think it's one of those. One of the first, not one of the first times, but um, I think I often think about this when when I'm appointing people now in a role, but. Um, I used, to, I used to go to a meeting at the EICC or something and you'd walk down Lothian Road, come around the corner and, you know, everything in between Rose Street and George Street was mine. <laughs> this whole, this <laughs> whole block of Charlotte Square, seven, seven kind of Georgian front doors of, of this big townhouse all, all sort of merged together. You know, it was a number of buildings that had all been kind of put together to create this hotel. Yeah, but basically a great two hundred bedroom hotel right in the city centre. A lot of banqueting, and and we did a significant refurbishment project uh, again. So, you know, fortunate in sometimes to have taken on roles whereby the hotels were in that life cycle of needing investment, needing some repositioning, and being given the, the the trust by the owners to do that. It was interesting. It was my first experience of a management contract as opposed to an owned property. So uh, right mcdonald hotels uh ran it for for an owner um and i hadn't dealt with that kind of thing before it all previously had been owned and operated type of property so then suddenly you are you're not sitting on the fence but you're being very conscious about you've got an owner relationship and you've got an operating company relationship and you have got to, yeah very different dynamic yeah you've got to, you've got to meet the expectations of both and they you know it wasn't that they had different expectations but um you know, there was a lot. <coughs> there was a lot happening, a lot of investment, and I mean, McDonald Hotels also operated the Holyrood Hotel in the city as well. So, um, you know, there was always a. It, you're sort of also operating a competitor hotel in a in a kind of way. But um, you know, it was it was for me personally, it was an opportunity to demonstrate repositioning, putting in a new team getting some great results. I was fortunate. I won GM of the year for Scottish Hotel Awards when I was at that hotel, which was nice. And actually also importantly, you know, something that, that had, had been a bit of a theme through my career had been looking at consistent sort of personal professional development opportunities. So actually I got a hit scholarship when I was at the Roxburgh, which led to me going over to Cornell Hotel School and doing the general manager's program for kind of two weeks over at, uh, in Cornell.
0: Ah, I, I was going to ask you about that. In mm. any case, I'm always intrigued to kind of understand what, what that involves because they're, I mean, they're an organisation that have, I'd look at, obviously I meet and, and interview an awful lot of people for the for the industry across the years and see a Cornell qualification coming up of some kind in a great deal, many places. Yeah. Um, they've clearly got their finger on the pulse when it comes to business education.
2: Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. I mean, I think... Um, Hit Scotland had, had previously. Well, it was the first time Hit did a leadership scholarship, um, which was two thousand and eight. So I applied for the leadership scholarship and was fortunate to to receive that. You had sixty five general managers from all over the world. Uh, literally, you know, I think it was sixty five general managers from something like thirty countries, sort of in a room together for two weeks. Looking at all sorts of industry trends and education, and you know, it's an Ivy League school, so you're getting that that level of lecturers, and in terms of just opening your mind to possibilities and future trends in the industry and things, and um, it was it was very good. It was a, a real sort of. I, I think there are times in your career where you you need to do these kind of personal professional development things to kind of really step yourself forward, mm. um, and I think that you know I, I certainly took a lot out of that, and then actually. Fairly quickly after that, I think one thing I really came, one thing that that came to my mind more from, I suppose, education in Cornell was really understanding what actually I think they termed coopetition, which was that you cooperate whilst you compete. And it was probably coming back from Cornell, that the first time that I thought about, right, I actually need to contribute to the things that are for the good of Edinburgh or whatever, because obviously if it's all about getting a fair share of a market, if you're part of the team of people that contribute to growing the appeal of a city, then if you're getting the fair share of the business in the city, if you make the cake bigger and you're getting your fair slice, you're going to get a bigger slice. Yeah. And so that led to me, whilst I was there, I got involved in the business improvement district. I chaired the Hoteliers Association and just really tried to, if you like, I suppose, not just be the general manager of the Roxborough, but also to be, you know really part of the of the tourism effort within the city, which was um, and, and when you do things like that yes you 're giving your own time you 're giving your own input and expertise, but you're also you 're also meeting different people and um, you know I used to go to a board meeting for the business improvement district and obviously get there five minutes before everybody else they 'd arrive and there 'd be a Christmas brochure for the Roxborough on everybody 's place setting <laughs> that type of thing. because you know I think the, I think the salesperson never leaves you you're always looking for that opportunity but these are these are opportunities that I think people have to take to be an ambassador for their business, and you're you're giving something good back, but you're still at the end of the day. You're always still the general manager of the Roxburgh or whichever property that you're doing.
0: Yeah, and well, there's probably a sense of pride in that as well, though, right? I mean, you're if you clearly believe in your your product and what you're you're trying to achieve, then doing something like that, your know, tiny little sales strategy thing, you uh-huh. you believe in it because you believe in What you're offering people?
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, you, you, um, well, for me, it's mutually beneficial. That it's obviously if you know the general manager needs to be that kind of ambassador, which means they're representing their business, but also the organisation that you're working for is getting something back out of it. And of course, when you're then sitting on a board of directors, and I don't know, you know, the, the, the head of investments for a bank or something is also on that board of directors because they have their head office within that area. You're working with them and of course then when they're looking to put a VIP up or something they don't they just you know they'll, they'll kind of call chris as opposed to our know, phone a hotel
1: hmm. because
2: you are it's, it's very relationship focused that's um, yeah. the, the, the the sort of key thing and um and probably really the the, the work i did there led to then the, the ceo of that time of mcdonald hotels a great guy called david guile kind of asked oh, God, me, yeah. yeah david asking me to um i had asked me if I would want to become one of the sort of regional directors for the company. So um, that was, it, if you like, what happened next. And I think it's quite an interesting anecdote, actually, because I've been asked to go to one of the regional directors meetings because the, the Scottish MD, if you like, couldn't attend for some reason. And it was, it was all, of all things, it was all to do with a bread trolley, <laughs> which was, <laughs> we were introducing a bread trolley into the restaurants. you know, multiple types of freshly baked bread, served a little bit like a cheese trolley in the restaurant with great you know, French unsalted butter and aged balsamic and olive oil, et cetera, et cetera. So real, mm. and we were introducing this. So the, so the group F&B director wanted to show all the regionals what they were doing so that they could then get it trained in and understood by all the GMs. And so the MD for Scotland couldn't make it. So I got a call basically to say, can you go to the meeting in his place and and represent, you know, represent find out what's going on with this bread trolley? kind of come back and um, tell your colleagues what's happening. And I, I remember kind of thinking, right, this is this is an opportunity because I probably at that point in time, I think you go through your career thinking, I want bigger, better hotels. I either wanted a bigger business or a better business. I wanted more quality or, or more turnover. Or I think there are these kind of glass ceilings that you break. So you right. f- your first general manager's job is a glass ceiling because you, you're in that leadership position. And then, right, I've now got a hotel with more than 10 million turnover or I've got a 100-bedroom hotel or a 200-bedroom hotel you know you sort of those things that I think you would know this more than me Phil in terms of recruitment you probably look at okay yeah can handle 10 million of turnover is four star or is five star or has done a certain size of business etc but anyway I I was probably at a point where I thought to myself I quite liked the idea of some multi-property work I've done some coaching development induction for new general managers that type of thing So I went to this meeting, but I I very consciously thought about the fact that I was going to that meeting and I thought about the people who I knew would be in the room, even down to, to some extent, you know, what would they be wearing and what would they be, how would they be thinking, how would they conduct themselves? And so it was a very, it was a very starched shirt and a very shiny pair of shoes that went down to the meeting, shall we say. Um, (laughs) Actually... I kind of contributed a bit to the meeting and I remember I was, you know, got a taxi back to the airport, but the David, they asked me to stay in and talk a little bit about some other things with, with that team. And within a few months, he called me and we had a meeting and he said he wanted me to do a regional role. And basically what he said to me was, you came to that meeting and you just looked like you fitted in to the team. And so I think, you know, you, 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 these are opportunities where there's a door that's slightly open and it doesn't necessarily need the hardest push, which is go to the meeting, act like you're part of that team you know think like the the people in that peer group that you want to be with and it just sows a seed in someone's mind that says actually when we want somebody to do a multi-property role we're going to give you a call and that's how it happened yeah so that's what happened well effectively there we
0: are right i mean that's um that's genius in its simplicity in the sense that um you know effectively what you're talking about is just presenting the right image to the right people at the right time and yes yeah Just. I mean, that's it. There's nothing more to it than that,
2: right? And, that's, and I, suppose, I suppose that's the thing that, you know, I, I do various bits of coaching now and speak to students and different people and try to obviously give back what you can to the industry. And, and you know, someone will say to me, well, you know, but if I want to be a general manager, what I have to do? And, I, you know, so you work in a hotel, and it's like, well, then just watch, watch and learn what your general manager does just look at how they talk to people how they interact how they conduct themselves how they spend their days what they sort of focus on and and it's almost sort of learning and and if you start to think like they think and and position yourself in that way then i think those opportunities come to you
0: yeah absolutely a, a lot of things can often get overthought but it is often the uh the, the simplest things that make the most logical sense
2: yeah no definitely so definitely so and then it really, then for me at that point it became getting into multi-property work. So I actually um, crossed the city and was then based in the in the Hollyrood because the owner of the Roxburgh at that point in time was kind of of the view that well you're either our general manager or you're not. As in you can't be off looking after a number of other McDonald hotels and still be the general manager of the Roxburgh. So so I kind of based right. really myself out of the Hollyrood and and we um, put somebody else in to run the Roxburgh who who did a great job. And then yeah, that was my first experience then of, of trying to do multiple things at once. And actually my, my first kind of region was was a lot of the northwest of England. So I was back down back down the M6 again quite a lot, based in Edinburgh, but looking after Wigan, Bolton, Preston, Chester, etc. And it was it was a steep learning curve because it's very much it's one thing when you go to a business every day and you're working with one head chef or one housekeeper and one director of sales and all of a sudden you've got multiple people. And you it, it is a it's it's a real case of, of reinventing yourself, looking at your skills, how you spend your time, how you focus, and this there's, this there's, I think there's always a steep learning curve for someone to go from. It's it's like when you see a great restaurateur who opens a second restaurant, and there's a difficulty that either the new restaurant's brilliant and the old one goes back a bit, or the new one isn't brilliant because they're so reliant on the on the existing business, etc. So it was a it was a definite learning curve around the, the types of skills that you need to be able to leave, and I suppose prioritization is the big thing because you can't you've you've spent at that point i've been a gm for 10 years so you spend 10 years focusing on kind of one business at a time or maybe i'd done two that were smaller businesses but that, that's kind of what occupies your mind and then all of a sudden you've got say nine hotels you can't you can't be the gm of nine hotels and you can't yeah. be nine places at once and you can only so frequently so how do you develop systems that drive performance evaluate quality think about people etc on a on a basis where you might only visit once or twice a month that was the big kind of learning curve for um, for all of that time really
0: yeah there seems to be a a, an overriding theme here that you're you were perpetually being put into roles that stretched you in a good way I mean and I I think that kind of is suppose that's
2: one of the fundamentals of growing as well, right? Yeah. And I think I was, I, you're absolutely right. I think one of the big talents in leadership, especially when you're managing people is is spotting when they need a stretch. And if you have an opportunity, even if you are perhaps over promoting them, but but if you're over promoting them a little bit, you might create a void above them that they can grow into to be able to do it. And I think also, if I think back to appraisals at that point in time, I was, probably, I was probably the kind of person that said, "I remember actually sitting very clearly and having an appraisal, and you know, if you like in your appraisal, the boss tells you the things that you're good at." And I and there's no sense of arrogance here, Phil, at all. But I was almost saying, I, "I I think I'm quite good at sales or whatever." Okay, I get that. Don't tell me that. Tell me what I need to do to be able to be that person. Yeah, and it was you know, I you know to me, the only person you're destined to become is the person you decide you want to be. So therefore, Very good. if I was deciding I wanted to be a regional managing director, or I wanted to be chief executive of, of Avimore or whatever was the next role, I wanted a bigger and better role. And it was almost saying, don't praise me. I don't really need the pat on the back for the things that you think I do well. And It's nice to be told. Thank you. But tell me what my gaps are. Tell me mm-hmm. what my blind spots are. You know, you're looking over your shoulder when you're driving the car. Or whatever. I need to know what my blind spots are, the things I don't see in myself. I need you to tell me, really, Chris, you know. There's a great book, isn't there, about like what's got you here won't get you there. So you have a certain set of skills (laughs) that get you to a point in your career. They get you so far, but they're not going to get you where else you want to go. And at this point in time, you know, I think well, by by the time I went to Avimore, you know, I was probably late 30s at this point in time, and saying, well, I wanted to run a big hotel tick. I wanted to do some multi-property kind of work. I wanted to develop other general managers, etc. You sort of become what else can I do? What else do I want to do? And that's why I think then, you know, in terms of saying, yes, people present you with those opportunities, but you also, I suppose, have to tell them that's what you want. And and that's and that's really not in an arrogant kind of sense. But I think people, I do some mentoring work now for the Institute of Hospitality. And I'm often saying to people, it's not about the next job you take, it's about the job that that leads to. So it's a bit like playing chess. I don't know how to play chess. But I understand from watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, <laughs> it's, about, <laughs> it's about, you know, you make one move because that move can lead to other moves. And I think, you know, early on in your career, you're making decisions that I was I was saying to someone recently that at the early stage of your career, I think it needs to look a little bit like an American freeway, you know, four or five or six lanes. And the one lane could be sales and operations or HR or whatever. And you kinda of want to move in lots of lanes. Because I think some sometimes think people take themselves down very narrow lanes very early. So they yeah. make themselves, you know, that's that's all I'm going to do is this particular specialism. And that's great because you want to perhaps be an expert at something. But in terms of general management, there's a clue in the title, which is general management. You you generally mm. have to understand enough about everything to be able to 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 work and motivate and hopefully inspire people within those, those different kind of parts of the business. So um, I really yeah. think it's about, it's also about stating your ambitions as much as anything. And, and I, you know, for me, it's a question I like asking people when I interview them, but I also like asking people if I've been interviewed. So when I was having discussions with the owner about taking over career hotels, I would ask him the question of, if we were talking after a year, you say, Chris, you've done a great job. What does that look like? Paint that picture. Very good, yeah. Tell me, just tell me in your mind. And actually, you know, if I'm interviewing, say a you know, a general manager now and I say to them, if in a year's time, if I say to you, Phil, you've done a great job for me, what do you think that looks like? Because actually, if my vision of what me doing a great job after a year looks like is completely different to what your vision of doing a great job is like. And then you know, it's just that clarification of expectation point, really. Yeah. You know, people just you have to know what's expected of you and people have to know what you expect of them. Otherwise it doesn't really work.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I suppose a lot of that as well with the individual is, uh, are, as you kind of quite rightly pointed out, is about setting the objective. You know, if you want to become an MD level or a CEO level, that's kind of start with that end goal in mind. But you also don't yet know quite early on in your career what your strengths and weaknesses are in each given area of the business, right? I mean, that that comes as you as you go through it. And you can't be perfect every single thing oh, of the course, business
2: of course and you know there's there's not um I, I think for me as well you know one of the one of the most important things I mean I'm probably at my stage of career now I'm keener to learn now than I've ever been right and I think this this kind of level of, of humility comes down to you know I, I sort of think about the way people approach things and think to myself okay so if you if you don't really listen then you're not learning and if you're not learning you're not going to develop and if you don't develop you're not of use to the business in the future over and above where you are today. So you know it's that that point of almost constantly looking at your own sort of contribution and and working out um what do I need to do to develop? What other skills do I need to do? And and don't forget also. I mean, I was um it's funny chatting to a, to a group of students on a Zoom recently. Someone had asked me to you know uh, I suppose present about the industry today. A little sort of about leadership in the industry for a group of students trying to graduates leaving now leaving um, in this in this economic environment and um and the, the example i was giving them was asking them you know what, what their view is on social media and i was saying to them so here's the thing you know i got my first general manager's job in the year 2000 facebook was invented in 2006 i now have meetings talking about social media strategy paid spend on facebook how many followers we have? What's our level of engagement? It didn't exist when I was first a general manager. Mm. So if you're not learning and if you're not evolving, then you are really in danger of of you know kind of becoming a dinosaur,
0: getting left behind. Yeah.
2: And ultimately, they they only became extinct because they didn't run fast enough. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from whatever was chasing them. And and that's the thing. You, you sort of keep running and you keep keep evolving. And um, you know that that's the thing. It's there, there are many different things. I think actually that are involved in being a, I mean, there's not in terms of, you know, general management, it's still, it's cleanliness, it's standards, it's people, you know, those are the things that truly matter the most. But as fundamentals. There's a lot of other skills, you know, people talk, we, we talk a lot now about data and segmentation and, you know, these types of really refining who exactly the guest is and who the target market is and marketing is such a specialist skill that's just continued to evolve all the time. So that that's, I think, you know, really where, and and I suppose for me, it's always been a case of I'd really rather regret what I've done than what I haven't done, as in to really take an opportunity. And um, you know, it's, it's it's just I suppose it's also about people because obviously we're now dealing with different generations as things progress. If you you know, there's a certain age bracket that might have been a receptionist when I first started in the industry. If that same person is in that same age bracket now, but now they're a millennial versus a you know Gen Xer or whatever else they might have been, and people have different levels of expectations. Mm. Um, I think we, as in terms of you know to to improve the appeal of the industry, etc. I, if I think about progressing through my career, when when I wasn't <laughs> DJing in the late nineties, as it were, yeah, you, you you progressed because you were always the person that did a six day a week, or you picked up the shift if someone was sick, or you did a you, know, you, did, you did a double shift and. Um, and, you know, was that, was that actually back then the definition of success versus perhaps, it, you know, people from a lifestyle choice or whatever else. But it was, it was, you know, I think it's, I think absolutely hard work. Hard work is so important because you are, it's a cliche, but you are only going to get out of it what you're prepared to put into it. Yeah. But obviously, you know, you, you, you definitely progress through things. The, the more you put into it, it you, you just will get different results, I suppose, really. It's about effort, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you're know, placing that level of expectation on yourself is a positive thing. But I think it, uh, the the good thing now that I I think that we didn't have when you know back in the day when when we were starting out in our career was this kind of this talk of really look after yourself because it's um you know that's equally important as yeah. as grafting hard.
2: Yeah, no, massively so, and I think yeah, wellness now versus I mean you know often often a you know, back then, a double duty manager shift with a quick meal grabbed, you know, um, hoping that your bleep wouldn't go off. <laughs> yeah, gosh, yeah, the pagers. Oh, the bleep, you know, hoping your bleep wouldn't go off or because somebody wanted you to open the cellar or something. And you and you had the big bunch of keys like the sheriff for the hotel. That was always Yeah. Um, are you
0: are you like me? I I absolutely, because uh, I used to work in operations uh, many moons ago. And I was, uh, for a long time, worked in food and beverage. Mm-hmm. and always ate like on the go literally you know in and out two three minutes wolfed down and i still eat that way to this day that's something that stuck with me even though i could take an awful lot more time if i wanted to
2: yeah there's i actually have quite a funny story about doing a doing a tasting with a client for an event actually it was at um, back at Ellerslie house in edinburgh where we were planning the rugby events and we were doing a specific, we used to theme the menu. So if it was Ireland against Scotland, it would be a themed menu. And we were in the middle of a conversation. It was myself, my deputy, perhaps the sales manager, a couple of people. And the chef brought out this sticky toffee pudding. And basically, everyone's talking away. So, you know, it's like at a tasting, you're quite politely trying a little bit and putting it down. A... So I, you know, went in with a spoon once, thought that was quite good. Went back for more and then put the spoon in, th- <laughs> third bite, finished it off and put the spoon back in the bowl, sat back and looked up and everyone was looking at me. And I'm like... <laughs> I think we might need another one of these um, <laughs> and it became known as three spoon pudding because literally I kind of ate it in three mouthfuls <laughs> that exact thing of, you know, the chef's, the chef's made one too much of something. You quickly wolf it down before you run off to do something else. And, um, yeah. you know, three, three spoon pudding is maybe the, maybe the way forward. But, um,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so you're, uh, at this point you're, you're in a regional role. Mm. What happened next?
2: I, uh, had a, again, you, you have a call and was asked by Donald McDonald's the chairman, and, and had a chat about going up to Avimore. So Avimore was just a really fascinating kind of business. The company had um, bought it uh, or uh, been involved in developing it. And um, so at that point in time, it was four hotels, which had 470 bedrooms. It had luxury woodland lodges, we had timeshare, but also we had a department store, we had a cinema, massive leisure facilities. Suddenly your swimming pool's got a wave machine and a slide.
0: Right, and, and proper they, resort then
2: yeah oh yeah, absolutely yeah the 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 ring road that runs around the resort's like a mile long, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a staff a staff hotel with one hundred and twenty bedrooms that one hundred and eighty people live in kind of idea right yeah, and it 's fascinating because the resort, the resort could sleep one thousand two hundred people, but the populous the population on the census of Avonmore is about two thousand people, so the influence of the resort within the village of Avonmore was massive. And it was going through a process where we were going to spend, again, significant investment repositioning, the number of the hotels improving from three-star up to four-star. And it was kind of like being the mayor of a small town, if I'm honest, because you literally had all these individual businesses. I think we had something like 10 or 11 different profit and loss accounts that we ran because we had multiple restaurants, different branded restaurants, but also things like the department store, which had a you know a couple of million pounds a year of turnover and you were suddenly talking about buying hunter wellies and barber jackets and that type of country where to improve that and um sitting with your operations director talking about which films to play in the cinema that type of thing
1: right
2: which was which was great fun it was it was a great sort of repositioning project and um We had some great results. There was a real need to move from some markets into different markets. And I think I felt when I was asked to do it that um, there's no centre parks in Scotland. Yeah, if you live in the central belt of Scotland, you drive a couple of hours down to Penrith to the nearest centre parks. But actually, I felt there was an opportunity to drive a couple of hours up the A9 and sort of make Aviemore a bit like a centre parks.
1: Okay,
2: yeah. In a dedicated children's play um, facility, spent a lot of money on a supervised play facility that could take a couple of hundred children at once. So if, if you've got some parents staying with a young child, they want to have a quiet dinner or or go for a game of golf or a spa treatment or something, they could put their child into 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 the childcare facility. Right. And get and get that level of care and that level of enjoyment for themselves as much. So um So yeah, I I still I still had some other regional responsibilities. Looked after a number of different hotels in Venice and Aberdeen, which introduced me to the Aberdeen market at that time as well. But I I think that I completed the refurbishment. So at that point in time, I'd done about ten years for McDonald Hotels, and and it was probably Aviemore and a regional role within Scotland was probably the sort of biggest role they had within Scotland. I didn't have a desperate desire to to sort of go specifically anywhere else, and um, so I just kind of felt that it was time to move on and do something different because. I'd done the kind of regional work in the central belt of Scotland. i had done the northwest of England. I wasn't really sure what else I was going to do. And, and you kind of do become, um, you know, 10 years in one point, in one time, in one organization, you can become, you know, sort of a, a, I suppose, a bit of a product of an environment, which is no bad thing, but I wanted some different experiences. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I had worked for Paramount Hotels when they bought the Carlton Hotel back in Edinburgh and Paramount Hotels by this point in time had become Q Hotels. So um, Michael Pertil, who sadly is no longer with us, but uh, along with his uh, operations director, really called Vivian Sirotkin, kind of had got in touch with them and went to work for Kew. So um, yep. went down to Slaley Hall in the northeast, northeast, it's, uh, sort of just outside Newcastle. And Slaley had been sold as part of the kind of breakup of De Vier in its older format in terms of um, with the resorts, etc. Um, mm. So there was, again, there was investment work and things to be done there. But I also was fortunate in the time working for them that um, they offered me the Midland and Manchester. So I went to the Midland and Manchester as well, and, but also looked after the great hotel up in Scotland called the Westerwood at Cumbernauld, et cetera. So did some regional work and things for them. And really, really it was really enjoying working for them, but um, could probably see that their kind of business model at that point in time, working with venture capital partners and i think you sometimes look at these well these types of organizations who think we'll be involved for literally 3 years in a day and on you know day 1 of year 4 we're going to sell it and yeah. they were refinancing and it was fairly obvious that refinancing was going to involve sale and they were kind of going through that process and i got approached by an agent in relation to working for working for marriott and so, although I was was in Manchester and you know I loved working at the Midlands, for me it was from having worked in Manchester the first time to then sort of go back. And it's I suppose it's almost the it's, it's like the Balmoral of Edinburgh, but in Manchester it really is the, the sort of iconic hotel within the city, and you know hosted the Conservative Party conference and just such a well known hotel. Mm. And it was it was quite a hard decision to leave, but actually. When you kind of get a call, and it's look, you know, come and have a chat. And obviously, it's Marriott and it's you know Will's biggest hotel company. They're restructuring their business. They're creating these clusters. Unfortunately, they're completely revolutionising the way they manage their business, and they're going to have you know one team of people led by one sort of leader who's going to run say ten hotels at a time. That felt like a really interesting opportunity.
0: Well, it's it's very different again, isn't it? In terms of what you've already done, but. There's also, I suppose, an element of you being able to add some value to that process as well, but also they're adding value to you by putting you into a structure that doesn't actually exist anywhere else.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was completely literally all the all the usual levels of of you know really experienced general managers left the business. We had hotel managers in each hotel. So I had a, a core cluster team of sales, finance, revenue, engineering, and HR. And we were the sort of commercial driving force. We were almost the senior team of each of the hotels across 10 locations, which meant we dealt with the owners, we dealt with the company, we did all the sales strategy, revenue management, production budgets, et cetera. And actually, what was brilliant was it left the hotel managers, as they became, to focus on employee satisfaction and guest satisfaction. And if you think as a GM, it's, you know, someone saying to you, you, should, you know, keep your hotel clean, well-maintained, look after your guests, look after your team... Just keep everybody happy and let let the sort of cluster team deal with owners and deal with investment and those sorts of things. So um, mm. that was the, that was the model really, which was which was great. I, I really um, I you know enjoyed it. I had a brilliant cluster team that I worked with and a great team of hotel managers. We we opened a hotel in Aberdeen. We also dealt with a couple of um, disposals of assets as well. We sold a couple of hotels actually around Newcastle, which was an interesting experience in itself, or something to sort of go through, but we had some great results we you know we picked up um, some awards for like sort of you know leading kind of contribution to the cluster but i was probably sort of approaching 3 years in the role and and at that point in time you you probably are starting to think about you know sort of different roles and having a conversations with my the area vice president at the time talking about some other types of career options which just didn't really work for me from a personal life point of view my fiance, she is, is in the industry based in Scotland as well. You know, children are up here, etc. And I wasn't for, for a number of reasons, wasn't really in the in the sort of frame to be able to just write take everything and go and work in Portugal or go and work somewhere else kind of idea. Yeah. And so I again you, you sort of have a call from somebody. Um and interestingly usually usually is the way isn't it it is yes absolutely we won't we won't use the rather vulgar term of headhunter but uh, you you, yeah. you have the you know you get a call from somebody so interestingly paddy creera who's chairman of creera hotels paddy and i were on a learning journey together to disney university funded by scottish enterprise back in 2002 right and one of these things whereby, you know, I was, I, was, I know we talked about HIT earlier on at the Cornell Hotel School, but um, there was a couple of things earlier in my career. I did a master inholder scholarship to go to Cranfield University, sort of part of the St. Julian scholars, et cetera, but went on this Disney learning journey. You know, when, when someone phones you and says, do you want to go to Florida for a week in February and your work's prepared to support it and, you know, learn about world-class customer service culture from Disney, and you think, well, that'd be fantastic. And Paddy was on that uh, same trip of people that went to Scotland. But we didn't really sort of keep in touch Would have if I saw him at a conference or a dinner or something, we would have said hello and had a chat, but hadn't worked together. He was at a point where with Creera Hotels, they actually were going uh, to, the, the company was actually going to be sold a couple of years ago, but the sale fell through kind of at the last minute. And so they'd been working on strategies as to what they wanted to do. They'd actually been kind of right sizing the company. So it was actually larger previously, but with, assets at that time that couldn't meet the quality criteria that they had. And he had decided he wanted to step up to becoming chairman and and really sort of step away from the day to day operations of the business. So um so we had a conversation and as much as I was in a for me I was in a really positive career trajectory with Marriott and um was really enjoying it and it was really quite a hard decision. But um to some extent it was very much a case of, you know, almost in my mind, Paddy's the bank and I bought the hotels, if that makes sense. Um, right, right. And it was, you know, it's very, very clearly still his train set, that I get to play with it <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a complete autonomy role. There's quite an interesting story, actually, about talking about, if you like, sacred cows, things that you can't deal with as it, you know, change, if you like. Because yeah. if you, so, so you're the, you know, sort of, you've been the CEO you know, there's obviously there are shareholders, but effectively, you know, very it's a family oriented company. You know, he's the chairman, obviously. So if he's been the CEO for a number of years and you want to come in and change many things as the new CEO, how does that work? You know, as in because what you're not doing is obviously trying to change things that your owner and indeed boss and the previous CEO completely believe in. And in the end we settled on beans, red socks and dogs. So Of course you did. Yes. That,
0: that sounds <laughs> completely natural.
2: So in career hotels we don't serve baked beans breakfast we so don't right. beans, but you will not get baked beans on a career of breakfast and um i think it's more than my job's worth to to change that also our team we have wonderful quality of uniforms we have a career of tweed um that gets turned into uniforms but we provide the team with full uniforms including red socks that they wear with their brogues right and and also we are arguably probably scotland's yellow and the uk's most dog friendly company and that is something that has to continue. We are completely dog friendly. Our office is dog friendly. Every hotel is completely dog friendly. So even
0: in your restaurants? Yes. Oh my God. Right. Well, I mean, you, you've made a fan of me straight away. Everywhere. I, th- this, this is a bugbear I have as a, as a dog owner. And we take our dog everywhere with us is that the places that claim to be dog friendly. And when you say, oh, can I can I Take my dog into to the restaurant with me, or uh, you know, with, at breakfast. Uh, no, you can't do that. But just you can just leave them in the room. That's fine. Yeah, that's I not. Mean, no, I'm, I I don't leave my dog in the room. No, in no. a strange place. Thanks very much.
2: In the in the same vein, it's like saying to someone, "Would you well? Could you just leave your child in the room while you go for breakfast?" Uh, yeah. What's the difference? You know, really? No, we yeah. we um, we absolutely you know, we would be sympathetic to people who perhaps don't like dogs or you know well behaved dogs. Obviously, you, you know, keep it on a lead. But if, if your dogs yeah. sit at your feet at your table whilst you're having breakfast, then then that's completely completely acceptable to us. So yeah, the, the, the three the three non negotiables, if you like, became uh, became beans, red socks, and dogs. Brilliant. The rest of it kind of became fair game. And what was you know totally fascinating was. My official start date was uh, the 1st of April 2020. As you can imagine, by that point in time, we were kind of technically about eight days after Boris Johnson announced the first lockdown.
0: Yeah, welcome to the, the company. We're, we're closed.
2: Well, interestingly, so I was actually, um, I was on sort of some holiday period from Marriott and had effectively kind of left Marriott and was just finishing off holiday, if you like. So I was, you know, I suppose having to almost volunteer, if you like, and, you know, but but I at the time I was saying I was talking to people that I'd never met about hotels I'd never been to about how to shut their hotels down. Yeah. my my first day where I envisaged you know back to my nice suit and what shoes I was going to wear when I went to head office as the CEO. I was kind of sat there in my jeans and my hoodie looking at my laptop thinking I'm in charge. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and it was but by- everybody is going to be looking to you. <laughs> well, yes. However, one of the things that we one of the things that actually the chairman, if you like, introduced me to as a mindset in the beginning is never waste a crisis. Right. And so we took the opportunity really to, it, it probably, probably the crisis and the way things were and being shut and how we dealt with that and everything, it probably short circuited things so that he and I and, and our uh, the fellow directors established a level of trust and understanding and confidence that might've taken us a couple of years to get to, because it was literally you know, okay, Chris, what are you going to do? Okay, I'm going to find some hand sanitizer and some screens and some masks and you know, literally. And, and that was that was probably the you fall out of an organisation like Marriott in terms of the protocols and the procedures and the support, and suddenly every decision about how you're going to reopen the hotels and how you're going to deal with guest communication and teams and building confidence and and, and what your strategies are going to be for pricing and everything. Suddenly, kind of every decision is yours. Mm but it's, but it's been amazing it's been absolutely loving it thriving in what i'm doing we we our our goal is to become you know Scotland's leading quality focused independent hotel company prior to the crisis we were a debt free independently owned you know not dealing with asset managers not dealing with multiple owners et cetera. Mm. obviously you know covid has 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 been a setback for us but actually it really has enabled us to I really think accelerate some of our thinking, some of our ideas, because the new normal is only the new normal based on what you're prepared to. to What you obviously you have to do things from a health and safety point of view, but really the new normal. What does that look like from our point of view? We've we've we we've invested so much money in the company previously, so part of the right sizing and asset disposal was to spend significant sums and drive the hotels to a top end four star quality with a Rosette kind of basis. Yeah, but the most important thing for the company is actually about authenticity. So we're a very authentic. Really, I mean, our spirit of the Helba, spirit of Scotland and Gaelic. We bring the spirit of Scotland to life through our hospitality. That's our main goal. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. You know, everything we really focus on is all about is all about that really, and it's all about delivering that experience for people. And, and I think you know we we will measure performance in a quality first way, which is to say that you know today's quality is tomorrow's profits. So, you know, it's not necessarily about profits for today. It's about building quality, building reputation, building upon guest expectations so that we we sort of, you know, drive the performance of the company really forward. And there's there's a couple of really interesting things. One is that um, Paddy is actually a very keen farmer. And he farms all of the the venison that we have on the menus, and um, we've we're, we're into sheep wow. now, so we've got lamb this year. so actually on our on our website and on our YouTube channel, there's a, a a film that we made last year which is called Field to fork and it's it's all about where it comes from and it so sort of, it shows how we work with invalescent mussels on mole and the cheese on mole in terms of the uh, mul cheddar, which is obviously famous, but primarily. You know, Paddy, Paddy is a farmer who farms produce for us that, uh, that ends up on the menu. So completely That's amazing. Completely authentic. And the thing that I... is, is really fantastic about the company is that the company also has the career of trust. So in any given year, 50% of the dispersible profits for the company get given to charity. So even in November last year, in the middle of the pandemic, if you like, at that point, pounds was gifted to charities that are Within a within a sort of certain radius proximity of the hotels, which that two hundred thousand had taken, I think in the last ten years now eight million pounds has been given to effectively Scottish-based charities from the profits of Clearer hotels.
0: That's brilliant, and that's also, I think. Uh, I mean, that's what people. Correct me if I'm wrong, but people want to work for companies that are that way minded. Now, that's the overriding feeling that I get. That especially with the the next generation coming through, they want to know. What is your country doing to make the world a better place?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think business being a force for good. Yeah. You know, but you, you can go around, for example, we have the, the fantastic hotel, Lochfine Hotel and Spa at Inverary. If you go to Inverary, there's a, a bus that would take children for their swimming lessons. It would take more elderly local residents for a nice day out, etc. £25,000 minibus bought and paid for by the Career Trust. Right, um, brilliant. Over on the Isle of Mull, there's a, a pensioners' lunch at Christmas for a you know sort of pensioners club and it's completely paid for by 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 the Career of Trust. And that, if you like, spirit of generosity, one of the biggest things we did in lockdown was we did a um, we we sort of have a whole campaign for Scottish Hospitality for Heroes and which led us to open up nominations for employees of the NHS. For which we had uh, about four thousand nominations, and we basically chose three hundred eighty-two people because we gave away the whole company in the third weekend of August last year. Two nights, dinner, bed, and breakfast turned the whole company over to the NHS and gave the whole thing away to them for free for the weekend. Wow! Which was amazing. It was brilliant, and it was so. You know, I, I went around as many of the hotels as I could get to that weekend, talking to talking to doctors and nurses, and and but also you know healthcare workers who, who had. Perhaps lost somebody through covid or had a real you know some real stories and um the almost like the least we could do was give them a weekend of our hospitality so so yeah we gave away the whole company and that kind of spirit of generosity i think is something that's really important to us and, and you're right people know the team that work for us know effectively whatever our profits are out of any hotel half of it is going to go to good causes locally
0: well, that's brilliant that really is i uh, i salute you for, for that I think that's a, it's just a really lovely
2: thing it's the it's paddy career and the and the, and the shareholders uh, I'm obviously I'm the one that's got to make a profit that can be shared yeah yeah, yeah. no pressure yeah, yeah no you know very, you know, very much is, is business model which certainly as you say and I think also as well as the teams appreciating that I think the customers appreciate that as well because it's not yeah it's not going to some you know sort of faceless international investor etc cetera, etc cetera. it really is absolutely business is doing good and we will one of the things we've been working on really hard during lockdown to relaunch or launch properly later this year is our Career Academy. So we really are we're talking to a number of universities and schools and colleges and organizations in, in line with the sort of work that I'm in a I'm a trustee of HIT Scotland and also involved in the Institute of Hospitality and things. So looking at this you know sort of real consistent personal professional development type mindset and how we can really through the Career Academy, A, be uh, a real employer of choice in all of our organisations. But in any of our locations, if anybody wants a career you know, to really treat hospitality like a profession, my goal is that we would absolutely be their first choice and we will have mm. a career path, opportunities, development, matched with formal education, but also experience that will, that will help them achieve the kind of goals. I suppose if I go back over the last kind of 25, 26 years, the opportunities that, that I've been given as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not only that, but you, here's a, a product that you can be proud of uh, as well.
2: Yeah, and we, we, I mean, we also, during lockdown, we've actually been really quite bold. So we started in October of last year refurbishing our hotel on the island of Mull. So we're going to spend over £3 million on the island of Mull.
0: I saw actually on your LinkedIn feed, I think it was, a picture of you and a deer. Yes. Right up, next yeah. to you. Yeah. On the Isle Bob. of
2: He's called Bob. He lives in the grounds of the hotel. Right. <laughs> and I was over Yeah, the um the chef the chef feeds him. He sort of hand feeds him carrots and things. Um <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. yeah, so we're gonna have this most amazing seventy five bedroom, brand new four star hotel. We've got beautiful sea deck. We're gonna have a balcony off the restaurant because it's at Craig Muir Bay. So it's where it's where the ferry comes in a little bit further down the coast. you can see the you can see the CalMac Ferry, which is pretty iconic in that part of the world, obviously. But um yep. hotel beautifully refurbished, enhancing our spa offering. Uh, we're going to have bedrooms that have got their own decks with their own hot tub on their own decks. And the hot tub has the view of the, of the mountains. And, you know, you can, oh see, my uh, you can see the Nevis Range opposite. You know, that at a four star level of quality, with I mean, the, the produce and the seafood on the island and just the, the climate, there's something about island life. It's like you step on the island. Well, you would know that a lot better than me, obviously, Phil, but you, yeah. you step on the island and there's just something different about it. And of course, from going over to Mull, you can go down to Iona, you go across the Calgary Bay, the sunsets, that type of thing. So um, we are really excited to reopen and it will be a real, I think it's going to be a real destination for. Wellness and for a, as a real retreat because we've got such a spa focus, but also just just great Scottish hospitality, yeah. which which I think will appeal to people. And also, we are significantly investing in Glencoe. It's a fantastic business at Glencoe, which is only actually a fifteen-bedroom hotel, but we're going to be taking it to more of a, a sort of um, it, it's an inn. It's almost going to be like a five-star inn if you if you sort of get what I mean around. Right. Yeah. Um, great investment putting. Baths in the windows, you can sit in your bath and, and look at the, the path of Glencoe. We're putting in a hot tub in the grounds of the hotel and we have a really successful food and beverage business there. So we're enhancing all of that and opening. We found a like a nice outbuilding in the car park that I'm going to put a wood-fired pizza oven into and open up a, a concept called Red Shed Pizzas. So basically I found a a, a separate outbuilding. that We're going to paint red and therefore call it the Red Shed and um, do nice. So anyone passing Glencoe on the way to, to Skye or to Fort William, et cetera, can stop off there and get a fantastic artisan wood-fired pizza with Creera Home Farm venison on the top, et cetera. So yeah, oh, that's the feel to Folks Man,
0: I, I feel like uh, I now need to do a tour of your hotels when uh, when they, they, they reopen. I, you and I spoke mm. when we had an initial chat about doing this, about the fact that my brother still lives up in Nairn, and then you've yeah. got a hotel up there as well, of course. yeah. yeah. And when I said uh, said to him, uh, I'd had a chat earlier that day with the uh, the CEO of Credor Hotels, and they've got um, your you, your property in Nairn, and he said to me, uh, "Oh, that's the posh one, isn't it?" And I went, "Well, I'm sure he'd probably be happy with that, but it's um, certainly it's it's known by the locals as a as a quality establishment."
2: Yeah, it really is. I mean, again, it's. Um... By by the time we finished Mull and Glencoe um, in the last few years, it's been £12 million spent on the career estate to put it into this top-end four-star proposition. Mm. That also has led to us you know we've got a different website we've got some different team members in terms of the sort of marketing and and revenue management and things but um but but the reality is the 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 experience of the hotels the physical condition of the hotels just the quality that they offer at nair we've got a fantastic hot tub outside our spa and health club where you can literally see over the beach and and over the water and um tennis courts, et cetera. So yeah, fantastic property. Yeah, he'll have to come along and give us a look. We're not maybe as posh as he thinks, but it's just certainly all, yeah. all, all about quality and consistency. That's, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's brilliant. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've, you've got your work cut out for you, but it's also really interesting and exciting.
2: Yeah, hugely so. I mean, as I said at the beginning, we actually sort of can't wait to get open. We were really fortunate when we opened last year that we were a very loyal set of customers who really did come back and stay with us and, and appreciated the, the lengths that we go gone to, to keep them safe and our team safe. And we, you know, we feel we're a, we're a safe opportunity and conscious that people need something to look forward to and, and probably aren't really likely to be getting, you know, the, the sort of foreign holidays that they may be being used to. So um, mm. uh, if we can, once we can just get open and we can get on, we've finished off the investment projects that we've done. We've been doing, you know, the team have been, um, getting a lot of, of training and support and um, they've been partaking in the new Hit Scotland uh, scholarship that's just been launched and like so many things it's all gone online and we've been keeping in touch with them online and um, we will be really I think having used the, the sort of what will well by the time we get open hopefully in late April that'll be my first year in the role we're kind of looking at it being a real foundation year where we've really put some really stakes in the ground on quality and on our proposition for food and beverage and um, and investing in our spas as well. We do a, a spa development project at Loch Fine later this year. We're keen actually to develop the spa up at Nen as well so that you've got the sort of the locations, the appeal of the properties, the quality of the experience matched in with with really incredible food and beverage quality um, and then spa as well. It's a, not a bad place to spend a weekend or a, or a nice week for a holiday as the case may be.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the the mantra of never waste a crisis. It certainly sounds like you guys have definitely not done that.
2: No, definitely not. We've been we've been busy, but focusing on uh, on what we think are the right things that will, you know, help us meet and exceed people's expectations from the time we can get can get open again.
0: Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Well, uh, thank you very much for for talking us through that. The one one question I always love to ask everyone that comes on: mm-hmm. Have you got any funny stories from your career that you you would care to share? with us oh,
2: yeah one of the um one of the questions actually when we were talking previously you were talking about the stupidest thing you've ever done yeah well, i'll go back to avimore when i was running avimore we we developed we developed santa weekends for, for for the children and really we because we are very family focused resort and obviously you know i suppose as an alternative well as an alternative to lapland if you like um really from late november right the way through christmas we did santa weekends and we we had a, a pantomime on in the, in the theatre on the resort. We had elves animating in the dining rooms, you know, that really, really going for it full on. Yeah. My first Christmas in Avimore, unfortunately, was one of the mildest Decembers you've ever had. So I had um, Santa, I had, we had a Santa's grotto on the resort. I brought reindeer onto the resort. We had a Christmas market where I had people wandering around in T-shirts because it was so mild. Wow, and, that uh, mild. Well, that mild, but of course... The right. snow, I mean, sometimes the snow in Avimore, obviously, ski resort, you know, it's the, the, the one place I've spent six weeks working, wearing my wellies every day to work, etc. cetera. So yeah. anyway, my, my kind of interesting idea was that I would guarantee a white Christmas for the next year.
1: Mm. Right.
2: Which, which I worked with my marketing team and we guaranteed a white Christmas. And it came to November and it was still very mild. So, um, so I basically bought snow. I kind of I paid, <laughs> I paid for snow. Literally, I spent quite a few thousand pounds getting snow sent to the resort in that I could just create one area where you could get a photo with your family and throw a, throw a few snowballs. And so we, we late at night, the night before, before all the children and every, all the families, are, and we would have thousands of families coming through in December, thousands of children to see Santa who would been guaranteed by the resort CEO of White Christmas. And we set up the area and the snow melted. Um, so i the next day uh, having been the idiot that actually paid for snow in a ski resort i actually <laughs> and it was and i have to tell you the funniest part is that um a recruitment consultant phoned me the next day in the morning actually talking about a job when i was talking about leaving avon or somebody i knew and um at that point in time i'd taken one of the pickup trucks from the golf resort and a shovel, and I was driving around the kangorms trying to find snow, so I could shovel the snow into the back of the pickup truck to, sh- <laughs> to shovel the snow back into the, to create a white Christmas, because I was adamant that we were going to have a white Christmas, and we did, but I basically was the idiot that bought snow that melted, and yeah. I, I genuinely, literally late at night, myself and the team created this kind of snow zone, and I got up early the next day, and I went out, and I could have stood there, and I said to myself, it's melted, why, why is it melted? you know because it was obviously that mild but it,
1: yeah
2: of course the temperature was that it wasn't good enough to create snow so i literally had to drive up to the ski resort <laughs> fill a fill a pickup truck with snow and take it back to the resort
0: bless you are you uh are you sure you want that to go out into the public domain
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, because i had made a commitment to my guests and i was determined to fulfill it you see there you go
0: yeah yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I have to say, I take my hat off to you with that, that bloody mindedness to get this done. <laughs> I've made the promise, we're going to do it. Well, uh, you kind of, you definitely do need that streak in you, right? And you're, um, when you're trying to, to fulfil promises of experiences to guests.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, but again, it goes back to that point about, I certainly learned that perhaps, perhaps guaranteeing snow to somebody was maybe not the best decision you could take when running a resort. But uh, yeah, certainly, it's a good time at the time. Very good,
0: yeah. So and uh, what would you say to, to someone who was contemplating a career in hospitality?
2: Um, I think you have to just go for it, give it you all. It's absolutely the most uh, wonderful industry. You know, I'm, I'm someone who, in leaving school, if you like, didn't have many qualifications, didn't really understand too much of what I wanted to do. And I've progressed through through my career as a combination of, you know, practical experience, but also learning because I've been, you know, focused on my own personal professional development throughout that time. So, you know, you go from 16-year-old kids, not really sure what I was going to do. Actually, hopefully next year, if I get enough of the work done, I'll complete a master's in business psychology, which I've been working on. And I'm a CEO of a multi-million pound company across a, you know, 25, 26-year journey. So for me, mm-hmm. it's like, if you're going to do it, but you go all in and you completely commit, and you work hard and you enjoy what you do. Literally all of my friends, you know, everybody, most people in my life, somehow I've met and have, you know, got to know and, and through, through the industry. But you can absolutely become anything you want in this industry. That's the other side of things. There's, the opportunities are so, just so varied. And, you know, I suppose it, it's that how much effort you want to put into it and how much, how much people want to work on their craft. Because I think I have a thing about complacency kills. So I think arguably one of the worst things you can do is get to that level of, well, that's me, I'm a general manager. You know, you've got the name badge, the business card, the big leather chair, and almost sit back and think that's it. Well, that's actually just, that's the beginning of the next leg of your journey. And yeah. You just keep, you know, you just keep, keep reinventing yourself, keep, uh, keep looking for those opportunities. And the, the, you know, almost, yeah, the harder you work in terms of, of the results that you'll get and, and how you position yourself to, to fulfill whatever it is you dream that you want to be
0: yeah no I, well, that kind of comfort is the enemy of progress mm-hmm. statement, isn't it? yeah, and there we are. I made it one minute one hour twenty one minutes and thirty four seconds into the chat before I got a cliche in that's that's <laughs> that's a new one for me a
2: lot more than you, so. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> great stuff so if people want to to reach out to you to learn more about the company or or you and just chew the fat generally, what's the best method for them to do that?
2: Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, as you mentioned, um, just as Chris Wayne Wills, and obviously we, we we keep things updated on on my LinkedIn, but also Career Hotels has a LinkedIn. But www.careerhotels.com that's our website. It's got everything that's happening in terms of the investments, the hotels, and um, and also we have a great YouTube channel that's got some of our really nice marketing videos on. But um, yeah, LinkedIn would be the best opportunity if um, you know can help anyone and support. Give any advice if I can, or or we are obviously as we as we expand our quality and our positioning, we're you know constantly recruiting as well. So we're always looking for great people, and um, we're on a we're on a specific journey. and That's uh, you know always good to hear from people.
0: That sounds like a great idea. Recruiting people. There we are. Lovely, positive way to end it. That could be a way to um,
2: career fill. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'd, look, you've I've not even. Uh, Cross the threshold on on any of your properties but you've already made a fan of me i can't wait to to get the opportunity to to come in and and have a look and see what you're doing firsthand and i wish you all the very best with all of the, the very exciting plans that you've got and continued success in the role and wow you'll be open soon we will imagine
2: that uh, no, well, well thank you so much for the invitation and for you know the, the opportunity to to tell a little bit more about the company and yeah look forward to welcoming you and uh, anyone that's listened once we get open and uh, and to uh, exceed everyone's expectations that's going to be our main goal
0: fantastic very good thank Thanks. you very much chris thank you take care take care now cheers bye-bye, bye-bye. and there we have it What a fabulous career story so far from Chris. He's definitely made a fan out of me both for who he is and for what he stands for. Check out the Carrera portfolio for your next trip to Scotland, especially if you've got a dog. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.